0: Welcome to the Restoration Living Podcast with our host, military chaplain and spiritual care director, James Johnson. With so many voices in this world fighting for our attention, it's easy to believe that we aren't good enough, that our past will always haunt us, and that we will never measure up. But the voice of God is telling us that we can live a life of restoration in Him. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to let our past decisions determine our present peace. Instead, He wants us to find that life of restoration in Him. So grab your Bibles and join us as we dig into God's Word to discover timeless truths and proper application for our lives today. During my undergraduate days, I had a few part-time jobs to help pay bills and gas and all that kind of stuff while I was in school. And one of those jobs was working at a local gym. And the desk where uh, the workers sat while we were waiting to do things like wipe down the equipment or restack the weights or gather the towels to go wash them, there was a desk there. And that desk was next to the bench press bench and if you know anything about gyms you know that that is probably the most popular place in the gym that everybody loves to bench press so while i was sitting there studying waiting for the next thing i had to do at work every monday there were these groups of people that would come through and they were your macho guys that just love to brag and show off and all the great things that they love to, to, to brag about uh to their fellow guys that were there and every monday like clockwork these guys would come in and they would brag about their sexual conquests of the the number of women they slept with or the adventures that they had as far as like going out and drinking and partying and uh doing all of these th- dishonorable things that 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 would so a Christian right, would say that God would not want me to do. And normally that stuff happened and it's a college town and you think nothing else of it. That not everybody's a Christian. Not everybody believes what we believe about the way we should live our lives. But what these guys said, one guy in particular every week, always caught my ear that at the end of every time he would talk about how he had gone out and done all these things and and this particular guy as well as some of the others were married men so they were you know having you know adulterous situations where they were you know cheating on their wives with these other women they were meeting up with at the end of every retelling of their accounts of their actions and the events of the weekend he would end it with this but that's okay i went to church on sunday and asked god to forgive me so i'm okay that they had this mindset that they could live like hell, and because they prayed to God for forgiveness every single time it happened, they could still go to heaven, right? That they were righteous people because they went to church and prayed a prayer. And now don't get me wrong, the beginning of every relationship with God starts with a prayer, asking for forgiveness. But in the scriptures, we see time and time again that we're commanded not to live this way, that a relationship with God produces spiritual fruit, that our lives change, we become new creations, that it's not a license to sin and be forgiven, right? And, and uh, the letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the Romans talks about this. And you know, in Romans chapter six specifically, the Romans were doing this very thing. They were living, pagan earthly lifestyles but still coming to church services still worshiping still believing that hey I should sin more so God can forgive me more. And so this idea that that Paul even said hey you know should we go on sinning so that grace can increase by no means he says right we died to sin how can we live in it any longer he says that in Romans chapter 6. So this mindset used to bother me every time I would hear these guys not because of what they were doing but because of the heart behind it that they believed especially that one guy at least, but the others too, based off what they were saying in the conversation, that they could live however they wanted to and still just get God to forgive them. If they went to church, maybe they go to confession, maybe they say some prayers, and they're good. And then they can live however they want to the rest of their life. That's not how the Christian life works. And sadly, that is a pervasive culture that has happened in American Christianity, and we've talked about this before, that because of historical events in the United States, like the Death of God Movement, the, the Scopes Trials, and the Great Depression, and World War I and II, Vietnam, all of these things have created an atmosphere where the church became much more focused on heaven than on earth. We became so heavenly minded, we stopped being any earthly good. And as a result, we began to make converts instead of disciples. We would preach mighty sermons about the, the, how terrible hell is, right? That how hot and terrible and tormenting and the suffering in hell is and how great heaven is. So why wouldn't you pray a prayer and give your life to God and, and, and let him save you from that? And so we get converts, they become Christians. If you were to look at the, the most recent census and Gallup polls, you would see that 80% of Americans claim to be Christians. But the deeper research shows that only one in seven people who claim to be Christians actually live the Christian life, according to groups like the Barner Research Group. Why is this such a big divide between people who claim to be Christians and those who actually live the Christian life? Because there's this divide that has happened because we have made converts who at one point in their life walked an aisle, said a prayer, and maybe they go to to church a few times a year. Maybe they they have their kids baptized or they drop them off at vacation Bible school or whatever. But they don't live God-honoring lives, and following Jesus is not part of their everyday routine. And as a result, there's no spiritual fruit in their life. We have tons of converts to the faith, but no disciples, very few. This idea sadly is not new. This idea has been around almost as long as the church has been around. That there's these people that they don't realize that living a godly life means living a godly life. That following Jesus means obeying him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll obey my commands. And because of this, we've created a culture of Christianity, not a personal Christianity. We have a cultural faith, but not a a personal faith. And why am I hitting on this right now? Because during Christmas, we end up having, in the church world, um, in, the, in, the, in the Christian faith, we end up having groups of people I call CEOs, Christmas and Easter only people, that the only time they care to, to be connected to a local church community is on Christmas and Easter. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you want to find christians you're going to you need to go to church right i do not have to you know go to a place to be something but when you go to these places that's where you find them if i want to find smart financial people they're probably going to be found in a bank or a financial lending institution or an investment place if i want to find healthy people i don't have to go to a gym to exercise but if i go to a gym i'm probably going to find people that are striving to be healthy and physically right and so Standing in my garage does not make me a car, but a garage is a great place to find cars. And more importantly, the church building is where the actual church meets. The body of Christ is a people, right? When we were kids, we did that right with our hands. We said, this is the church. And we folded our fingers and said, this is the steeple. And we flip our hands over and say, open the doors and see all the people, right? The people, the ecclesia, that's the church. We don't go to church, we bring the church. But there's this belief that simply going to a church service, sitting inside a building twice a year, makes me okay with God. Now, once again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Christmas and Easter services are amazing times to impact people for the kingdom because they're going to show up. But we've got to get away from this mindset that if I simply do a few religious acts, that I become that person that I become what I'm trying to do. You see, you have to when you're a convert, when you're a follower, you actually do those things. How weird would it be for me to, you know, come up to you and tell you I'm a vegan and I'm eating a vegan meal today. But then you hang out with me all the other days of the week and you see me eating cheeseburgers and wearing my leather jacket and, and having a grilled cheese sandwich made with, you know, r- real butter. You'd say, "James, you're not a vegan." <laughs> you know, you you're just play like one. Why? Because I'm not actually living a different life, really, than maybe one meal a week, maybe you know, one week one, sun, you know, one day a week, maybe on Sundays I'll, I'll eat, a, you know, eat a, eat a vegan meal. No, you're not a vegan. That's a lifestyle. It's a change. There's evidence, and this is what I want to hit on today as we continue our series on messages from the manger. That one of the things that happened, even during the time of Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the disciples, was that people were following after God in a ceremonial way. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look in the Jewish customs, there are several festivals. There's 613 laws in the law of Moses. And because those laws were so overwhelming and burdensome that people couldn't keep it, that the religious leaders even added extra rules on top of the laws that God gave. And it just became so hard. I mean, can you imagine being a family like like Jesus's family, like Mary and Joseph? Joseph was a carpenter, and he more than likely either owned a carpentry shop or worked in the construction business in nearby towns and, and worked to help build buildings or make furniture for the buildings, things like that. And you can imagine that what it would be like every time It was time for a festival and you needed to go to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice, to close your business, to stop working. That meant you weren't making money. These weren't salary positions where you got money, even when you didn't show up for work. And they would leave their home, risking that it would be robbed, that their their animals would be taken, that their crops would be harvested while they weren't there and stolen by people, by looters. They would have to travel. Uh, in, in, you know, across the the land, which was treacherous, and you know, they could possibly get robbed, or or you know, beaten up, or killed on the highway, on these 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 roads that they would travel. You finally get to Jerusalem, and you would have to, for the whole family, you would have to offer an expensive animal, or pay for the animal there, and you had to pay the temple tax every time you went to be forgiven of your sins. And this would be the process. and, and every time this would happen, man, people would have to give so much. And if you're going to be truly, you know, devoted to following the law of Moses, you'd have to only wear certain clothes. You'd have to, you know, honor the Sabbath. You'd not work that day of the week. You'd have to, you know, cut your hair a certain way. You'd have to act a certain, eat certain foods. You'd have to every time you broke a law, you're supposed to go back to Jerusalem and offer that sacrifice. Most people couldn't do this, and so they became largely ceremonial Jews, ceremonial followers and worshippers of Yahweh. But what we see in the middle of all of this is a guy named Joseph. And we learned a little bit about Joseph in our last session when we looked at Mary because they're connected. You can't look at Mary without looking at Joseph. But I wanna focus mostly on Joseph in this time because there's something unique about Joseph's life and Joseph's willingness to understand that being a follower of God meant being obedient to God. Being a follower of God meant being obedient to God, that when God says to do something, you do it. No matter what, no matter how comfortable it is, no matter how you know much problem and life and strife it gives you. I mean, I'll never forget when I was in high school, there was a friend of mine that worked at a, at a restaurant. And one night when he was sweeping the floor to close up the restaurant for the night, he swept up a woman's engagement ring with a, a pretty large diamond on it. Now back then, you know, minimum wage was $5 and some change an hour. And that diamond was worth many, many weeks of work to him. He could have easily pocketed it, taken to a local jeweler and received thousands of dollars for it. And nobody would ever have been the wiser. Nobody knew he had it, but he was a follower of Christ. He knew that was not his. And he knew that Jesus said to treat people the way you want to be treated. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. So what did he do? He turned it in even though it cost him. He had that opportunity and he didn't do it. And so what we see is that being a follower of Jesus means missing out on opportunities to cheat, to get ahead, to do things the easy way. Even though the reality is many times in this world, cheaters and people that break the law, it looks like they don't receive their punishment. We have to trust in God to have justice, even if they don't get it in this life. And as a result of this, we see in Joseph's life that Joseph was a righteous man. I mean, put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a minute. Here's this guy, probably 13, 14 years old. Joseph was not a massive scholar, even though all Jewish boys memorized the Torah in school growing up. Once they hit about the age of eight, approximately, they would finish Torah school. If they were really good, at Torah school, they would be selected by a rabbi to become their disciples, but that was very rare. Only people like the Apostle Paul would get selected for that. Most people would then go to do whatever their family job was. They would begin to learn a skill. Maybe they would learn to, to be a, a farmer. Maybe they would learn to be a, um, a craftsman. Right? Whatever. Maybe they'd be a shepherd and take care of animals. Whatever the thing is, they would go into usually the family business Sometimes you'd see people switch, but most of the time it would be the family business that they would have been doing their whole life. Joseph was a carpenter. Now, carpentry at the time was actually a a pretty decent middle-class job. Joseph lived in an area of Nazareth. It says, you know, in all of this that, that, you know, when we learn about Joseph, Joseph lived in this area, right? And so in Galilee, that's how he knew Mary and how their families connected. And so Joseph would have been a carpenter. And in this area, if you study history, King Herod had tons of building projects going on, especially by the coastline, and Nazareth was close to the coast. And so this massive, perfect trade city that Herod was building would have required a lot of carpenters to help build the buildings. And yes, you need stonemasons, but a lot of the, the things in a building were made of wood. And the furniture would have probably been made of wood. So Joseph and his family would have had plenty of work to do. But we see in this time that that Joseph was engaged to a woman named Mary. So let's look again at Matthew chapter 1. We read this last week, but just in case you weren't here last time, we'll we'll read it anyway just to get caught back up. Look in Matthew chapter 1 starting in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine this? Okay. Even if you're not a husband, if you think about your spouse coming to you and telling you something like this, if if you're a wife, think about your husband telling you that he got another woman pregnant. If it's your wife, think about what it would mean for your wife or if you're engaged, right, to have your, your, you know, fiance come to you and say, hey, I'm pregnant and the baby's not yours. What does that mean? Like we talked about before in Middle Eastern culture, after the marriage contract was signed, the wife of the bride would leave her family and live in the home of the groom until they could save up the money to have the actual wedding feast, to have the wedding celebration. This could be anywhere from weeks to months, depending on how wealthy you are, to many years. This is why the wedding in Cana, by the way, was such a big deal for Jesus to turn the water into wine because it was a very much a social thing Jewish life is social even to this day Middle Eastern culture is a very social culture it's very common to invite strangers into your home to have tea or into your business to have tea or to have lunch as I traveled around I got invited to numerous places to have tea or sometimes even meals with people's shop owners or people we traveled and met because that's just the hospitality is part of Middle Eastern culture and so as the the public image of, of people would be in the spotlight. If you had a wedding in your town and you did not prepare for it, oh, the shame and the dishonor that would come on your family, the disgrace that would be to save up all these years and not prepare adequately for the wedding feast. And so that's why it was important for Jesus to turn the water into wine, to restore their honor and take away the shame that that would have brought on them. That's why it mattered. So for Joseph to have this woman who he brought into his family's home, they would have probably spent years together. I mean, this is a middle-class family, so they probably weren't super wealthy. It would have at least been months, but it's quite possibly a year or two years, three years, getting to know each other. What betrayal would Joseph have felt to go through this with Mary, to have Mary come to him and say, I'm pregnant and you're not the father. Now, we talked about this last week, Joseph's responsibility, if he wanted to maintain his public honor in the eyes of the people, he should drag Mary to the center of town to the religious leaders and publicly in front of everyone, denounce her and say, this woman who I was engaged to had had physical intimacy with another man before we got married and now she's pregnant and I am not the father. If you read through the law of Moses, uh, specifically in the book of Numbers, there's the ritual of the bitter water, the trial of, of, of bitter water. And so the woman was supposed to drink it and if it made her sick, right, then everybody would know that she had committed adultery and she was supposed to be put to death. And that was to give to, in order to, to take the man's shame away So he would be honored again by the community. And so Joseph, by law, could have done this. But look at what the scripture says in verse 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph is a righteous man. And what we see in Joseph's life is not just the accolade that he was a righteous man, we see his righteous actions. That you see, following God means obeying God. Following God means obeying. If we are followers of God, we obey his commands. Followers of God obey God. And so we see in Joseph's life how, he, when he had this opportunity to disgrace Mary and promote his own honor, he didn't do it. And he gives her the opportunity to go back home, to keep her life. Yes, it would be a life of shame, but she'd still be alive. And Joseph would move on to the next thing, the next part of his life. But look at what happens in verse 20. All of this occurred to fulfill the message, the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. What we see is that Joseph was a righteous man and followers of God obey God's commands. It said that he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. The angel gave Joseph God's directions, God's word and Joseph did it, he followed it. Now, what you've got to recognize here is what this meant for Joseph. I mean, think about that conversation. How would Joseph have felt when the woman he trusted and expected to marry his fiance, who he'd probably dreamed with about their future life, came to him and said, hey, this baby, it's not just another man's. It's God's child. This is the Messiah. What would you think? I mean, honestly, let's be real with ourselves. If, if we were in today's day and age, you know, and a 13, 14, maybe 15 year old girl, young lady has a conversation with us and tells us, hey, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. And um, yeah, this baby's God's baby. (laughs) What would we think? We'd be like, yeah, right, that's impossible. But Joseph in the dream was reminded of the promise of God's word, that the angel not just told him what to do, the angel took him back to the scripture, what surely he would have known because Joseph was a righteous man. And Joseph would have recognized, okay, this had been prophesied, that a virgin would have a child. And Joseph did as the Lord commanded. For the rest of Joseph's life, this would be his job to raise up the Messiah. How would Joseph or how would Jesus learn these things? Now yes, Jesus is God, but Jesus subjected himself to a human body, which meant that like all babies, he had to learn things. Jesus had to learn how to walk, how to talk, how to eat, how to work. How to dress and how to live how do you think jesus was taught the word yes he would have gone to Torah school like every good boy but i can't help but believe that because joseph was a righteous person that jesus would have heard the word from the mouth of his earthly father of his stepfather the one who raised him and took care of him and we see all throughout the life of joseph if we look not only do we see his obedience here to do what the angel of the Lord commanded to take Mary as his wife, but if you go back to Luke, and we're not gonna read all of this, but we see in Luke chapter two, if we skip forward and we look in verse 21, we see that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple and made the purification offering required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. This meant all the things we talked about before, shutting down the shop, not making the money, making the journey, and making an offering that would cost you. And they offered the sacrifice. Now, one of the things we see that gives us insight into their financial situation is that they offered birds, that they did not offer a lamb, Or a bull because the offering of turtle doves or young pigeons was a poor person's offering. Joseph and Mary were young people just starting out in life and I can only imagine that once people saw Mary's pregnancy and that they were still going to get married that they believed that Joseph was the dad and I wonder what that means just as we looked at last time in the passage in Matthew 13 Where people didn't believe in Jesus when he came to his hometown because he was the carpenter's son. What did they believe about Jesus because of Joseph's reputation? But here's something I want to point to as we look through all these things, Joseph was faithful, and you can read through the gospel accounts for the sake of time, we won't look at all of them. That God continued to speak to Joseph in dreams and tell him what to do to leave and flee to Egypt to leave Egypt and come back, and then to end up settling in Nazareth, in Galilee. All of these things to fulfill prophecies. But he was faithful to obey God's word. Because you see, godly people obey God's commandments. Followers of God obey his commandments. And so as we look at this, I wanna look at one last passage that may not seem connected but if you were to skip forward to matthew chapter 4 you would read of the account of jesus's temptation in the wilderness and jesus fought temptation from satan not with violence not with physical force but with god's word that not just god's word but god's word in context i wonder And once again, just like with Mary, I'm drawing a clue, because we don't get a whole lot about Joseph's life. What do we know Joseph was a carpenter? What do we know he was a righteous man? What do we know he obeyed God and listened to what God told him to do through his dreams? We know that Joseph was willing to endure shame and stigma and disgrace and quite possibly poverty, all because of his obedience to God. There's a, another thing that, that this is a connection I make, and this is once again, the James Johnson commentary, so take it or leave it. But in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus faces temptation, we know Jesus was not a rabbi that was classically trained. He did not study under another rabbi who like Paul, a traditional rabbinical student would have been selected in their young age to come and follow the, 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 their rabbi. And then when they were age 30, they would become a rabbi themselves. We know that Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was a carpenter. He was the son of his his earthly stepfather was a carpenter. And so as we look at this, Jesus didn't go to rabbinical school. How did Jesus know the word of God so well? Now it's entirely possible and some scholars will say that because he was God, he knew the, the Bible. He knew the scripture. But I also recognize that Jesus was God in a human body. And just like humans have to learn and study, So I believe Jesus did. How was Jesus able to say, I can only imagine in the workshop, as they made tables, as they built parts of buildings, that as they went, that because Joseph was a righteous man, he obeyed the law of Moses to talk about God's word and God's character. And to teach Jesus, the Messiah, the word of God day in and day out, as they walked along the road on their way to and from home to work, as they delivered furniture, as they traveled to do construction projects. I imagine in my mind, Joseph telling young Jesus the word of God so that when Jesus faced temptation as an adult, he knew to respond with God's word properly used in context. Joseph, was a righteous man. And as we look at the nativity scene and you look at Joseph, he gets kind of left out a lot, but I think he's one of the greatest players in the whole scene because Joseph was a righteous man and godly people, followers of God, obey God's commands. They follow him no matter what it costs. So as we look at our lives today, I want you to ask yourself, are you a fair weather fan? <laughs> Are you a follower of God when things are going your way, but when life gets hard you criticize and doubt and run away? Or maybe you grew up in a family situation where you only went to church on Christmas and Easter. You only read the Bible every once in a while. Maybe you went to vacation Bible school some as a kid. Maybe you went to a church camp. But maybe if that's you or maybe you weren't maybe you've just never really put life into practice maybe you grew up in church and fell away from it or maybe you've just gotten a little spiritual lazy maybe you've been focused on the things of this world more than heavenly things but wherever you and i are today let us learn from the example of joseph that that followers of god obey his commandments godly people obey god's commands followers of God obey his commandments. And Joseph was a righteous man who did just that. And He trusted in God. And 2,000 years later, we see his example and we learn from it. May that be true of us, that we would be followers of God that follow his words and obey his commandments. That'd be true of you and I today. So until next time, be blessed. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We pray that God uses it to inform your mind, improve your life, and ignite your heart with a renewed passion to impact others for the kingdom of God. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue along with us on this journey of restoration living.